I think everyone's kind of settling back in, right? Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, your greatest joy is not to be a God who reigns over us, but, God, but a God who comes down and becomes one of us. You reached down to earth and had your son live this life in a broken world. Um, be familiar with our sorrows and our sufferings. Take our sins on his shoulders and die so that we might be up in heaven with you one day. As we gather around your word this morning, we ask that you not only deepen our faith and increase our joy, but open our eyes uh, that we can look at the human beings around us and love them with the same love that led you to reach out to us. We ask this all in your saving name. Amen. So, so losers can still be winners, and winners can still be losers. Um, my brother told me that a while ago. A little bit of context helps. Um, ever since my brother and I both crossed that line into our 40s, we try to remind each other to stay active and, and not let ourselves go too much downhill real quickly. So every once in a while, we challenge each other to a Fitbit challenge. It just means that we send a message and our, our watches keep track of how many steps that we take from a Monday to a Friday, and at the end we get to see who the winner is. Uh, Wednesday night in one of those, he was, he was pretty far ahead of me. So I decided the next Thursday night I would stay up late and get in a late morning run, um, and then a late morning walk, and a late morning jog, and another late morning run. And I think after everyone went to bed, I put on about 10 miles. The next morning, he woke up to this little message on his phone saying that his kid brother had pulled pretty far ahead of him. And I woke up to a text message from Mike saying, losers can still be winners, and sometimes winners are losers. And I don't know. Um, maybe that was just the bitterness of an old, old man who realized that his kid brother could beat him now. Or as I had stiff legs, and sore feet, maybe he had a point. Winners can be losers. It didn't bother me when it came to a Fitbit challenge. Uh, it still bothers me when I think about the way it happened with a young man named Kai about 15 years ago. Um, Kai was all of 19 years old. Uh, he's the kind of guy that if you'd walk in here, just everyone would like him. Uh, friendly, warm, earnest, honest. He was this this kid who, who absolutely loved his faith, loved God, and wanted to spend his life serving him and spreading his message. The only thing was is he didn't know who the real God is. So at this age, when most people are off chasing their dream jobs or their dream girls, here was this 19-year-old who spent an hour in my house talking to me about everything that he believed about who God is and especially about what he wants us to do, about the laws that he would have us follow, about the deeds he would have us do, about all these things that, that he said, if I do them well, the way that he was earnestly trying to do them, then one day after an eternity of trying to do this, I might be able to have some kind of peace and be in some kind of heaven with God. Um, not what the Bible says. Anyone who had read their Bible could show him that he was wrong. And I had. So I did. For an hour or so, he brought up belief after belief that he had, and I would bring up Bible passage after Bible passage to show him that's really not what God says. And, and it worked. I was getting through to him when he left my house that day. He left um, shaken in the things that he thought of. 
doubting maybe for the first time some of the things that he had always been taught to believe. And not one step closer to Jesus. Knowing some of the problems with the things that he was saying, but without having heard from me a single thing about the love of a God who would die for him. If that had just been a theological debate, I guess I won. But sometimes winners can still be losers. You know, from the very beginning, uh, the Christian faith has been about, about facts. You heard that in our, our reading from Paul. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just leave a note sitting in the tomb saying, did it, guys. Trust me, it's all good. He appeared to them. The women outside the tomb. The disciples, Sunday after Sunday, he let um, they have a meal with him. He, he let Thomas take his fingers and put them in the nail marks in his hands and, and put them into the hole that was left in his side. He appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people. That, every one of those things was Jesus' way of, of telling people, you don't need to worry and you don't need to doubt. Everything that I promised you really is true. I am the Savior. This peace with God is really yours. It's a fact. I, I love that truth. I, I, want, I want everything in my life to help, help bring people closer to that truth, even when they doubt it, even when they reject it, even if they attack me for it. But sometimes when they attack me for it, to be honest, there's a part of me that just wants to win. So it used to be that way for the man named Paul. Um, our text, these words of Paul that we consider today started off with the words, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Uh, so our reading picks up right in the middle of things. Uh, I'll, I'll try to catch us up real quickly. There's a trial going on. Paul is this great missionary. He used to be a persecutor of the church. Then Jesus wins his heart. He becomes a, a missionary traveling around the world telling people about Jesus. And now he's standing on trial before a man named Festus. He was a, a Roman ruler over this area of Israel and a, a regional king named Agrippa. Um, not a friendly audience. So Agrippa is a Herod. He's one of these regional kings, and his family has a long history in the Bible. Uh, Herod's father uh, was the one who had the apostle James put to death and tried to kill the apostle Peter. Herod's great uncle was the one who had John the Baptist's head cut off and put Jesus on trial. His, his great-grandfather was a Herod who had had all of the baby children of all the baby boys of Bethlehem killed when Jesus was born because he was trying to stomp out Jesus before he could become a king. Uh, that's who Paul was speaking to. Maybe, maybe puts into perspective sometimes our fears when we try to share our faith with someone at work or with a good friend. And here's what Paul tells. Oh, Paul's on trial because two years before this he was sharing his faith in Jerusalem. And a lot of the religious leaders were upset that he was preaching Jesus, so they, they riled up this big crowd, and the crowd tried to kill Paul. When that didn't work, they had him thrown in jail on false charges. So, so now Paul, this great missionary to the Gentiles, is sitting in jail for two years, and he just sits there, wrongly arrested, falsely accused, target of an assassination plot, rotting in a Roman prison. And now after two years of that, he finally gets a chance to address all of these attacks against him. And this is what he says. 
I used to try to kill these Christians too. I thought they were my enemies. But then I met Jesus. You know, that same Jesus who was put to death in Jerusalem, he, he came to me, I, I saw him with my own eyes, and he told me to use my life telling other people that he really does live and that there's forgiveness for every sin and that one day he will raise us back up to life the next, uh, to live together with God forever. When Paul said that, it probably doesn't surprise you to hear Festus's reaction. He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Um, maybe not surprising to hear someone say that when you start talking about religious leaders coming back from the dead and promising to take you to a new life to come. But did you catch Paul's response? I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. True and reasonable. Maybe two points to take from Paul's witness. The first one is that you don't need to be defensive about your faith. You really don't. Uh, we talk about blind faith sometimes, but the Bible never uses that phrase. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I have a funeral at our church later today. I'm going to be able to stand up and say, I believe that my friend Alan is standing in heaven with Jesus and we're going to see him again. I believe that because God says it in the Bible. I believe it because God used that message to touch my heart. But I don't believe it blindly. Here's why Paul said it's reasonable. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. He says this is just what the prophets said would happen. Here's what that means. You can open up your Bible to the Old Testament and find words that were written through the prophet Malachi 450 years before Jesus saying what Jesus would be like and what he would do. Or from the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. Or from King David a thousand years before Jesus. Or through the pen of Moses 1400 years before Jesus. And those prophecies will tell you about where Jesus would be born. What he would be like. The things he would do. The message he would preach. The way he would die. The time that he, the day that he would die. What would happen when he would rise from the dead. Now if all those things are written down hundreds or a thousand years in advance. And they all happen exactly the way they're written. Um, it's not blind. To say there might be something to this that I need to pay attention to. In fact, it's a little bit blind to pretend there's not. It's reasonable to say, I should see what's going on here. And one other reason. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. When Jesus preached, when he performed miracles, Thousands of people watched. When he was hanging on the cross and the Roman spear went into his side, there were crowds of people there. When he rose from the dead, he appeared to hundreds of people. There are, there are non-Christian, unbelieving historians from the time of Christ who write about Jesus' resurrection and how much his disciples changed and the people that were willing to give their life to hold to that peace. You don't have to be defensive about your faith. 
It's not blind. It's reasonable. But none of that matters um, unless we learn one other lesson from Paul. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. I love that part. I, I always wonder what the look was like on Paul's face when he said it. Of course I want you to be a Christian. I want, I want all of you to be like me. Well, not, not just like me. Um, Paul wasn't there to win a fight. Paul was there to win Agrippa. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. When you talk about reaching out to someone and sharing your faith, Paul's goal, our goal, your goal, isn't just to show someone the truth about what God did 2,000 years ago. It's to help them see why. To let them know that God did it for them. To share that, that those feelings that we all struggle with sometimes of guilt or uh, of not being enough or being broken, that there's a reason for them. And you don't need to hide from it. You don't need to pretend that it's not there. You don't have to act like it's someone else's fault. And to let them know that there's a God who sees all of that in us and still loves us so much that he would reach down to us. That he would give his son to take all of those sins on his shoulders and die so that we could be set free. That's the goal. Maybe you've seen what it looks like when the Christian church seems to forget that. when the church acts like its goal is to defeat our enemies, win the culture war, win, win the war against Christmas, um, win the war over, uh, over a homosexual agenda, win a war over socialism, get prayer back in the middle of public schools, get Christ back in the center of our nation, cancel the cancel culture that's out there, and if anyone is speaking against us, just make sure those people are canceled instead. Now, the thing is, if you do that, at the end of the day, there can be an awful lot of people who know that Christians think that they're wrong without knowing anything about a God who loves them so much that he would reach out and die for them. Or maybe you know what that's like, not, not because you've seen the church do it sometimes, but just because of times that you've done it. When you try to share your faith with a friend who's whose idea of God or this world was so completely different, or in the middle of a family problem that just began to spiral into an argument about who's right and who's wrong and who really started all of it, and there's a part of you that understood, I'm the one who's in the right, and if I could just show them, then they would recognize that I'm right too, no matter what it takes. So you, you did that, and you showed someone how broken their belief system was, you, you convinced someone that everything wrong was their fault, you, you won, but 
you lost what it was all about anyway? You lost the person? You lost that hold on God's grace and his love for every last soul? And maybe you felt it. Sometimes winners can be losers. So Paul's words set a wonderful example for us. Um, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Just remember what you're fighting for. Paul wasn't fighting for his freedom. Paul was fighting for Agrippa. You're there to fight for people, not against them. The Christian's goal is to win the soul. Um, that's just a joy when God allows you to be part of that. And maybe, maybe you've had that goal before if you're a parent, or that joy if you're a parent, the first day that your kid brings you uh, this crudely, crudely made drawing of a, of a cross with a stick figure on it, and they say, Mom, Dad, it's, it's Jesus. He loves us so much. Yeah, kiddo. Or, or if your boyfriend or girlfriend finally sits through a Bible study with you and you get to watch as the lights in their eyes go on and they realize what it is that God's done for them, in those moments you don't find yourself thinking, yes, I won. <laughs> they see that I'm right. You get to say, they see it. They see how much God loves them. They see that peace is really theirs. They, they see that it's going to be Okay. That's the goal. So here's what you get to do. You, you just get to tell them. You know, an invitation to church, um, a sharing of a sermon video, uh, just putting in your own words when they're ready to hear it, that there really is a God who loves them right now that he really did give up everything because they're worth it to them. And if they respond with anger, you can still answer in love. If they hit you with lies, you can just sit there patiently in the truth. If it ever starts to feel like it's a lost cause, you can remember the God who took a man named Saul, who persecuted the church and turned him around into a believer named Paul. You can maybe even think about the way that God takes a, a sinner like you or a sinner like me and gives us that hope and peace and remember that maybe it's not as lost of a cause as you'd think. And if it's the times that you realize that you're the one who made it into a fight with nothing but losers, you can remember that forgiveness that Jesus won is the same forgiveness that he gives to you. Uh, I don't really know what happened to Agrippa after this day. We, we have some good idea what happened to Paul. He was let out from prison after the trial. It seems that he was able to make a great missionary trip out to Spain to preach the gospel there. He talks a few times in the Bible about how he really wanted to do that. After a while, he comes back to that area of Asia Minor and spreads the gospel there, writes a few more books of the Bible, and then sooner or later, he's arrested again, and he's carried off in chains to Rome. And then one day, this great 
tool of God to spread peace on earth was led out into the courtyard and was told to kneel in the dust. And a Roman soldier lifted his sword and ended Paul's life. For anyone watching that day, I'd have to think that Paul looked like he had lost. But he opened his eyes in heaven. I always wonder who he saw first. So some of those early Christians that he had persecuted and killed, welcoming him home as a brother. Some of the men and women he got to share the faith with and, and bring to their Savior. And in the middle of all of it, Jesus. And Paul got to see with his own eyes what God had taught him to know in his heart. His salvation, their salvation, our salvation, that wasn't just his goal. From the very beginning, that's been God's goal too. May God bless you as you share it with others. Amen.